84. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shot boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. And I'm sure today, Aaron, when you're out working on those feed bunks and your sheep pens, you could use a pair of those dry shot boots. Yeah, yeah, other than I think doing that job, your feet might become stew. I can imagine. Kind of I, I wasn't building them in standing water. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I can imagine it'd be a little a little hot out there today. What's the uh, what's the temperature there in the lines today? Uh eighty. Yeah, we're a little warmer out here in the uh, Greater Scotts Bluff Metroplex. I think we're closer to closer to like eighty five ish maybe something like that. So, well, yeah. Right. So, so how you been since we talked last? It's been a couple weeks. Good. Good. Just uh, begging and pleading and, and doing what I can to keep some iron moving, man. That's about it. That's the name of the game. Yeah, it's getting, uh, getting a little more tricky than normal, but guys are actually starting to kind of perk their ears up a little bit, I think. I think they realize that this, uh, especially since yeah. corn got past 320, you know, so now, they're, now it's up into the 330s. They're, they're halfway, uh, halfway <laughs> right. back in the game. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah, things have been turned around, but I guess when you take a look at uh, what's been going on around you here in the last couple weeks here, what's uh, kind of what are you seeing happen out there? Um, you know, I just kind of what you said about ears perking up and whatnot. There last week, April, first two weeks of May, you know, it was it was pretty damn quiet, and things started kind of perking up, and then it's been you know, pretty, pretty steady stand. So I think once the, you know, once everybody's out of the field and kind of looking on to the, onto the next step and well, we probably need these and let's look at one of these and, you know, guys turn the page and back, back into, uh, you know, forward thinking. And a lot of times that involves a change in machinery. So that's, I think that's kind of where we're at, and just keep keep uh, keep looking at it. That's yeah. about all I can tell you. <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of what I'm hearing too. I mean, just watching what's happening with our sales guys in the territory and those kind of things. There's plenty of stuff going on. We got plenty of quotes out there. We got plenty of people kicking tires. We got plenty of people, uh, you know, getting taking delivery of machines and those kind of things. So it just feels like to me there's uh, obviously caution. You know, um, if you take a look at last year this time. There wasn't a whole lot going on right now either, right? Not like this by any means, you know, but um, <clears throat> it wasn't nearly as, as active as it was. And then June, July came around, and, and things started kind of t- making some tor- turns and uh, uh, kind of made our way towards the end of the year, and if things finished out pretty good. So I'm still pretty optimistic about the end of the year and what things look like, but I think there's, a, there's definitely an opportunity for things where we need to make sure that we are uh, – Dotting our eyes and crossing our T's and uh, keeping our best foot yep. forward with these guys. Yep. 
Yeah, because when it all opens up, porn's going to go six bucks. So. <laughs> I don't know if it'll quite go to six bucks, but... Hold on to your hat, boys. Yeah. Yeah, that would be uh that would be a very quick transition there. Go from triple or, or not triple, double in price here by the next couple months. That'd be something else. That'd be just something else. So last week I had Alan Hoskins on here and on Moving Iron Podcast number one eighty three. We I it was called trading the recon and depreciation curve and the reason i had alan on here alan's uh, one of those bankers out there that i really have a lot of respect for and and honestly he's uh he, he does a really good job of uh keeping things uh keeping things real you know and and making sure that that things move in a in a good solid direction so i want to have aaron on to talk about kind of you know the whole depreciation curve and reconditioning curve uh, as far as pricing equipment and how that affects equipment um, from the equipment guy standpoint. So, Aaron, let's uh, let's just jump in there. So, let's let's pick on our favorite thing here, combines. We love picking on those things. And if you uh, there's in any equipment, doesn't matter what it is, there is a certain time in, in the cycle of its life that it, that reconditioning costs will eventually outweigh the depreciation cost and obviously there's vice versa right so there's depreciation that's going to outweigh reconditioning so um let's right. just let's just start doing this let's start with the depreciation schedule first and take a look at that at that end of the curve and then let's talk about the other side of the reconditioning cost that we're going so there's this idea that um i think amongst some folks that there's a there's hour ranges and slots, and when you get to these hour ranges and slots, that doesn't really matter what the hour range is. Um, if it's between A and B, it does, it's the same deal, right? And typically, when people talk about machineries, they, they break them into 250 to 500 hour kind of increments, right? And right. there is that zero to 500 hour range, which to me is way too broad to start breaking equipment out, whether it's combines, tractors, Full drive doesn't matter, right? I think it's entirely too much. Yeah. So, that, so, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with that. That needs split in half because two fifty is a whole different animal with five hundred. Right. Yep. Because very are, much so on a combine and even on even on tractors. Yeah. Because there's guys out there that won't buy their. They, we have some. We have some new buyers out or used buyers out there that want to buy a new machine but not pay a new machine price, and they get that. So they right. want a machine with under 300 hours on it they're not going to buy it if yep. it's got 350 on it or 325 right. you better have 299 or less right and right and it's a big deal because when they think to them like that 299 is a is a even that 249 or 269 number the, the mental gap or not gap the mental jump that they have to make to get to that next level to them is well that's like a to them that's a whole nother season of use type of idea in their head. It's a whole right. nother, um, you know, I, I, I don't put that many hours on it in a, in a year, so now you're actually, you're, I'm, in a, I'm in a worse situation than I was before. On the 750-hour machine that I'm trading in that I've had for, for five years, you know, type of thing. Um, talk, talk about that a little bit. Talk about when you're looking at those machines out there and you're, and you're talking to your, your wholesale guys or your end-user buyers that call you from all over North America, t- 
talk about that scenario a little bit and how you look at that machine from a depreciation curve standpoint and from a reconditioning curve standpoint. Okay. Well, not to burst everybody's bubble, I am a long ways from a depreciation expert. Um, quite honestly, what I have noticed in the last 20 years of this business is everybody's different. I mean, as far as the depreciation side of it. Right. Going off of your depreciation schedule, every farm is different. Okay? Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. there's there's two factors in depreciation here that we're looking at. One is the guy's balance sheet depreciation. Mm-hmm. The other is dealership, the physical iron losing value depreciation. Okay? Right. Yep. When it goes to the balance sheet, that's everybody their own thing. I bet 10 guys have nine different, you know, scenarios. As far as the machine itself, you know, to piggyback on what you said with the zero to five, regardless of what it is, that that's a whole different ball game. But when you go over five, then you start going in 500 increments. Mm-hmm. Five to a thousand, thousand fifteen, fifteen to two. Then after two, you start widening again. Right. You know, if you take a, and I'm talking tractors right now, or well, even combine. You hit, say, you got two thousand step on a combine, or twenty nine hundred step on a combine. Don't make a hell of a lot of difference. Yep, I agree with that. In all reality, but, on yeah, it's there, not. It's going to make more difference yeah. there. Right, right. It's not. It's not for for the difference in hours that are there. It's not. You know, that's a, we're talking a third of the machine working history. Right. And it's not not a big giant cliff by any means. And on tractors, it's even narrower. You know, if I'm looking at a twenty-two hundred hour tractor, a twenty-nine hundred hour tractor. For a medium-sized guy, depending on what job it does, that might be a season of use. For a smaller guy, hell, that might be two seasons of use. But from farm equipment, machinery is a commodity, to quote the wise Casey Seymour. When it's a commodity like that, it's just cut and dry, you know? Yeah. You're... Yeah, there's a difference between 22 and 29, but there's not a hell of a lot, man. Right. And I would venture to guess that, you know, if you took uh, 20 of those tractors over the course of nine months, where they sell is going to be pretty damn close throughout that whole package. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and then like you were saying about the guy, the the used buyer that wants to buy new, you know, for the the two hundred hour guys, there are guys that love that stuff because they're not taking the initial hit. Right, it's close enough to new. I mean, good lord, two hundred hours. Right, you know that's that's nothing. Also, I've noticed. More often than not, those guys are kind of a medium-sized farmer, too, mm-hmm. and, you know, they're not going to put a 1,000 hours on that tractor in a year, but they're going to do, 
you know, say it's planting tractor, maybe a little grain cart, but not a lot of grain cart. They're three hundred hour a year guy. Right. Well, they, you know, they had someone take a year off for them, and the difference in in dollars to new versus where they got it is a huge difference to them. Maybe not. Well, I shouldn't. I was going to say maybe not from the commodity standpoint, but there is still, you know, there there always is. When we trade for something that new, we struggle a hell of a lot more on that than we do anything else. Right. You know, what's the right number? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you look at, you know, guys doing big multi-unit deals that are rolling that stuff every year, you know that. That is a huge chore to go, okay, how far back of new does it have to be? Right. And then you think you're right, you look again, oh, some more stuff has popped up, that's too high. Some more stuff, some more stuff. You know, it's it's constantly evolving, and at least to me, who, you know, that's all I do is use the equipment every damn day of the week, but... To me, taking that almost new stuff, man, I just beat my head against the wall with that. Yeah. That is so hard to peg. Cheap enough that they'll buy used instead of new, but you're not stealing it because, quite frankly, you can't. Right. <laughs> take, take, him, take him 10 seconds, 10 yeah. seconds to call another dealer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just kind of hard. But the good thing about it being hard, if you do get it figured out, you do get zero in on it, that stuff is great stuff to have around. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. So <clears throat> the flip side of that, depreciation side of it is, is some folks are chasing a machine down to where they, they know where that first real reconditioning number comes in at. And obviously on a tractor, yep. a row crop tractor or a four-wheel drive or something like that, that number is a really big number when it comes to hours, right? Um, you're like right. 5,000 hours. I mean, you got to change tires, right? That's that's when you've hit that first big number, right? Um, obviously, right. You, when you, some of these anymore, to do a complete service on these machines is, is not exactly cheap either. But um, <clears throat> No. Yeah. <laughs> you can put a kid through college on some of the stuff. Change oil in that. That would be twenty five hundred dollars. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's a, it's it's a, it's kind of a, it's very expensive to do. Like when you hit that seven hundred fifty hours. From a dealership standpoint, real quick from yeah. dealership standpoint, when they call and say, "Hey, do you want us to look this over?" And I'm like, I don't even want you to wash the damn thing because I know you're going to charge me for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they have, uh, you know, most guys I've been noticing here of late have, are really paying attention to that first real reconditioning moment, right? And that's for a combine, right. that's 750 hours, right? When you get to that first 750 hours, that's the most expensive, the first most expensive time that you hit, right? Because you're looking at majority of your wear parts at that point have, have hit time to replace them you know um, you're looking at some bearings that need to be replaced you've got some just just components not necessarily not engines and transmission those kind of things but just components that are yeah you've, you've hit a point now where you can do some serious reconditioning right so right to me 
when I look at that. Well, and that, that too, Casey, that yeah. depends where you're at and what you're doing. That's true. You can't, true. you know, you can't broad stroke that too much. Now, if we're talking corn and bean guys in the Midwest, yeah, yep. you know, that's that's pretty accurate because they're all doing <laughs> bushel corn and 70 bushel beans and right. That is a lot of material wearing that some bitch out. Right. If you're cutting dryland wheat in western Kansas, you're and you have seven hundred fifty hours on your machine, that's a whole different hunt seven hundred and fifty hours, right? Yeah. <laughs> it still has paint on the auger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a good point. That is true. But for the most part, seven hundred and fifty hours is, is a is a is a is a time to make a decision on what you're gonna do with the machine moving forward, right? So now you are at, right. okay, so now you've hit probably the most expensive part of your depreciation curve, right, from zero to 750 hours, right? You've reached that point, and then now you're also at, okay, so now I've, I've, I've taken the depreciation off of it, and I've, I've felt that. Do I want to spend the next 25 grand of this machine, or whatever the number is, to run this combine through the shop and fix the the elevator chain, the unloading augers, the bubble augers, those different things like that that are that are wearing out, that, that are at a point where you, you probably need to think about doing some stuff with it. Do you want, is the juice worth the squeeze to do that again? Some guys it's yes because just from a, a sheer dollar and cent standpoint, you know, it's cheaper to do the $25,000 thing than it is to, you know, they're probably three years into a, a, a five-year note type of deal, so they got some decent equity, so... They could they could make a move if they wanted to type of thing, but to me, I think that's the best time to trade a combine. Is if the, if you have a combine from zero to seven hundred fifty hours and you hit that point, I would be trading it at about six hundred hours, just because of the standpoint of six hundred and fifty hours, something like that, that you still have enough enough juice left in the tank that somebody could go out and run it for one hundred fifty hours. A smaller operator could go out and run put a hundred hours on it or something like that, and not hit that. That transition point. What do you think? Where, where, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with that to a point. Uh, it, it, you know, just like everything we're discussing, it depends on the operation, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Now, is that guy a one-year-old buyer? Is he a new buyer? You know, that that all comes into play. If he's a new buyer, I would say bail out before that. Bail out at yeah. five. Yep. yep. If if it fits you, you know. I did a Twitter poll last year, just just curious nationwide, and the 250 to 300 is a season of use. You know that that result was God, like 75 percent of guys that voted. So there's your 500 to 600. Now, if that guy's a new buyer, absolutely bail out there. Two years. I don't think you need to do it every year. I think you're. I think it's more cost effective to run those two years than to just be. Oh, all right. Well, time to trade. Time to trade. Now, custom guys, if you can do it every year, by God, do it every year. You know. Right. And most of those guys, if they were to stop, take a year off, and I'm talking big, you know, say six plus combine guys. Yeah. Those guys, if they would jump out of that multi-unit and go to every two years, is probably for that. 
Now that is an odd scenario, but for those guys, it's probably not cost effective to do that. It's probably considerably higher to go that route than to do their, you know, multi-unit fleet thing every year. And mm-hmm. boom, here we go. Yeah, yeah. There is some. If of that. it is a, if it's a guy that buys a one-year-old. I would say for him at least seven fifty to eight, you know maybe eight, mm-hmm. maybe a thousand. You know you buy a you buy a three a two fifty three hundred you're on it to a thousand. Right. Yep. That's why I think the second guy comes into play right there. What you just said. Right. Yep. When I started in this business years ago, there was two big ass kickings on a combine. It was always. About 800 or so, Little once you get to 800, start checking orders. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was like 15. Right. Yep. Well, just like we talked on, it was sometime this spring about no guy, you know, no buddy that makes a combine is trying to make them thinner. Okay? Right. <laughs> Nobody right. is yeah. doing that. Right. Yep. And that being the case, you know, it used to be like, say, 900, 1500. Now it's 700, mm-hmm. maybe even before that. And there's no way after that first go around you're making it to 15. Now it's 13. Right. And that's just because of bushels. Right. You know, the only, if you look at 20 years ago, hours on a combine, or today, hours on a combine, it's not like the clock counts different. The hours are still the hours. Right. But you're shoving a third more material through that damn combine, man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, there again, then you look at, well, okay, we got a, we're mostly all corn. Okay, awesome. Corn, by itself, is the easiest crop to thresh, easiest to separate. It's just so easy on a combine as far as working. Now, as far as where, there you go. 300 bushel corn wears the shit out of a combine because everything is packed full of yellow all day, every day. Right. And it has no choice but to wear out. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, there's a, uh, the, the mindset of where where do you price that machine at and, and where do you get the customer to start thinking about trading so that you know the either it's the second guy coming off of that that 500-hour guy or the the 750-hour guy where that second guy comes into play? Or is it, the fifth, like you're talking about, the 1,500-hour thing? Where does that fourth or fifth guy come into play? And then at that point, if you start... The third guy? Well, the third guy is kind of stuck in the middle there. I mean, he's like that. He's the guy that wants to trade his 2,000 hours in on on 1,000 hours, right? That's what... He's kind of stuck in the middle there, somewhere between... Those two scenarios, the 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 guy that gets the uh, machine that's got fifteen hundred hours on it, or or two thousand separator hours on it, or something like that. That guy depreciation is not. I mean, that's other than just a a fancy lingo term that you use with your tax accountant. Depreciation isn't an issue, right? right? You're you're right. talking about a machine that hits a point in time when every year you got ten thousand bucks or fifteen thousand bucks. I mean, every single year, right? Because there's something different to work yep. now, right? Everything's on a different time clock, and it's just 
unless you take the whole combine from feeder house to chopper and just gut it and put all brand new stuff in there, which I was in Ukraine, I saw a guy doing that. They were doing like a frame off, like overhaul on this, on this combine, and it was, but it was, but they're gonna make it brand new. Unless you do that, I mean, you're you're gonna have this over here and that over there, and this is over here and this over here, and this year you gotta do this, and next year you gotta do that. I mean. That that guy right there, but he's also the same guy. He's not putting four hundred hours a year on his machine. He's putting a hundred hours right. a year on his machine. So that reconditioning lasts or a lot long. Yeah, or two. And he's lasting that reconditioning cost that he's that he's that he's spending. That's an every other year thing, and not a every single year. Depending on what they do, right? But it's it's a right. It's not a an every solid every single year that you're going to do that. But it also, there's also, we got guys too that'll be like, yeah, I'll take that 1500 hour machine. I'm going to plan on putting 400 hours on it. And by this time next year, I'll have close to 3,000 hours on it. And I'm like, why would, do you want that one? Yeah. It's going to cost you more to have that, irregardless of what your payment is. It's going to cost you more to have that than it is for you to have a two year old machine or a three year old machine. And actually, you're going to spend about the same amount of money between what it costs you to recondition it. Depreciation and what your payment is, that one, uh, two or three year old machine is going to cost you about the same. It's just going to be less reconditioning yeah. costs. Which, which, at that point, I know guys that are pretty decent sized farmers, and they buy the 1500, 2000 combine, and they could buy the one year old, hell, they could buy new, but they run, instead of one, they run a couple. Yep. And the biggest reason they do that is is because they're always looking to expand, right? Right. And they do their own mechanicing in the winter, you know, all that kind of stuff. They don't want the $300,000 combine on their balance sheet. They want one hundred and fifty. Yeah. Because as they're aggressive and expanding and all that, they need the least amount on there they can but still be functional. And it, yeah, well, that's you know true. I mean. But I think I think that's a short-sighted view on that reconditioning and, and depreciation curve. They're doing that for their banker, right? The banker's the one saying to them, right. "Have the hundred and fifty thousand dollars that's so much better, right?" Well, instead of having a seventy thousand dollars payment, right, and and five thousand dollars worth of reconditioning costs, we now have a forty thousand dollars payment, and they've got anywhere from twenty to to, to thirty thousand dollars worth of, of of reconditioning work they're doing, even though they're doing their own work and they're they're cutting out the labor part of it and that, those kind of things. I mean, you're it's still there. But the point I'm making is you're still spending the same amount of money. And for the number of, of conversations that I've had with guys, it's like reconditioning doesn't count on the balance sheet with some of these people. You know what I mean? Right. And that that's yep. that's sad that that there's bankers out there that are telling people that don't worry about that don't worry about that that's the same thing i brought up with alan last week you know i'm like alan you know this is i see this and you know, i hear this all the time that you know my bank said not to buy anything because my combine's paid for and i don't have a payment right now i was like you have a payment it's called the shop bill and that's that's a payment right. you know that's right. a cash outlay whether it's a payment or a shop bill it's a cash outlay so you need to you need to mitigate yep. that to the best of your ability and i, I, I get doesn't matter what yeah. you call it money is leaving right it's it's a cash thing a cash flow thing going out so it's, why not take a look at what you have and i every situation is different and i'm, I'm kind of broad stroking this right now and i get that but the thing about it is is 
you might be gaining. Take your S670 and go buy a two or three year newer S680, right? Or, or maybe get into that 780 or something like that. But you've got, you're increasing your ability to do more on your farm. You're, 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 gonna, right. you're, you're gaining the capacity, if you're thinking about growing, and that's what goal of yours, you're gaining the capacity to do it by just adding, going up a class in combine, right? Now, granted, there's other things that go along with that, grain carts and trucks and those kind of things that all support equipment, all those things that play into that. But, end of the day, you're gaining efficiencies with just having a newer machine, right? You're getting more efficient because there's theoretically less downtime. The only thing I would... Things. Yeah, I agree with that. The only thing I would interject there is I know combines eat up a lot of money in the shop, and if you want to, you can spend 30 on one. Mm -hmm. But by and large, dealing with guys I've dealt with through the years, and you kind of hit on it for just a second before, when you have that 15 to 2 combine, and you buy that machine, and it's had its 750 overhaul and it's at its 1300 overhaul that even the guy putting the parts in puked at the dollars and cents on the market on that deal. But typically, now, most guys that that buy that machine, run that machine, are also guys that do a lot of their own work. Absolutely, yeah, I doubt about that. And that is, and that market is driven by those guys. Well, shit, you know, we've we fixed our own combine for 40 years. Why why would we stop now? Especially when, regardless of color, everybody's shop rates 100-something nowadays. Right. Yeah. And, and and there's just plain-ass guys that like tinkering. You yeah. know, they like, they like wrenching. Mm-hmm. And especially when they can, you know, they got a nice shop, they pull that thing in there, they get it, they slap her back together with the new stuff, and away we go. Those guys are typically not not set in stone, but typically can do that for ten a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd agree with that because they're throwing out the labor part. Labor's whatever the parts are. Usually, the labor's that again. So it's just that's that's yep. pretty 20, typical. Twenty years ago, <laughs> yep. when I started this in this business, it was a rule of thumb, and it was that way for probably fifteen years. Your combine bill is half parts, half labor, and no matter how you slice it, it always works out that way. Yeah, yep, that's true. That was just always a rule of thumb. Okay. Yeah. Nowadays, it's about sixty forty or sixty five thirty five. Yep. All right, so let's talk about tractors now. Whether it's row crop or four wheel drive, obviously four wheel drives have a little more maintenance just because of the uh. articulation points and and those kind of things. Got a lot more tires and everything else going around it, but those hey re- real quick yeah. I, w- I would just like to take a big giant exhale that we're not talking about combines again <laughs> <laughs> okay continue <laughs> yeah no you take take a look at tractors right so real crop full drive tractors I mean I don't think it either one of them really really matter but for the most part there that depreciation curve is uh, a lot more of a hindrance longer than than anything else i mean row crop tractors don't fall on their face as fast as combines do right four drive same way right they they don't do that so but also on the flip side of that is 
there's not a lot to go wrong. I mean, obviously there's stuff to go wrong with them, but there's not wear items and you're not running the crop through it and those kind of things. Those, so you have an opportunity to um, kind of forego the ride the depreciation curve out a lot further and really get a good number of hours out of a piece of equipment before you trade it in. And to me, I think you could run a, a row crop tractor or a four-wheel drive tractor, something like that, for 2,000 to 2,500 hours. And to me, I think that's when you've got the meat out of the machine, if you bought it new, right? Right. Obviously, yep. you can, there's guys out there looking for 500-hour machines and 1,000-hour machines, those kind of things. But typically, in today's world, in the situation we're in right now, there's a lot of 6,000-hour machines out there that guys are trading in to find a 2,000-hour machine or a 2,500-hour machine. Right. You know what I mean? So I think, yep. to me, now, if you had asked me this in 2012, I'd have said, get it out of that machine at 500 to 750 hours. And that's, that's the best time to trade your machine. To me, as I look at it now, I kind of feel like that 2,000, 2,500 is a sweet spot on tractors right now. What are you thinking? I would agree with that. What I would tell the customer is right under two. Yeah. Just because, not that there's a hell of a lot of difference between 1850 and 2000. There's virtually no difference. Yeah. But for us, the resaleability of it, it's a big psychological game. Yeah. That, that under 2000 hour mark is a, it is a big psychological thing it's like on a car it's not so much like that anymore but i remember when i was a kid growing up my dad said you know we got to get rid of this truck at hundred thousand miles i mean just no one's going to want to buy it after that you know and, and now i mean no one really pays much attention to that but it's the same thing like if you're at eighty five thousand miles and this one over here is at ninety two thousand miles it's seven thousand miles difference right i'm thinking right. like well i'm fifteen thousand miles away from hundred thousand instead of you know whatever eight and it's a huge thing in your head that you're like, I'm willing to pay a little extra to get this one than I am that one. And I think there's something to that. And that, that is that is a that is a big thing that is going on. And also, too, the other side of that is depending on what you've done with the machine, at 2,000 hours, 2,500 hours, you're starting to look at needing to replace tires. And that is a wicked, wicked expensive thing on, on a tractor. Yeah, it is. That'd be, that'd be a good opportunity for you to give your sponsor a shout-out. <laughs> give Dawson Tire a call about about when you get to that 2,000-hour range. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's wicked expensive. Unless you call Dawson Tire. Dawson Burke of They're damn near free. <laughs> but yeah, you're, you, you're, you're right there. There's, there's a lot of stuff. Not a lot of anything really, honest to God, happens up to two. Right. After two, at least it shouldn't. Which, case in point, what's new warranty on a tractor? Oh, 2,000 hours. Yeah. Funny how that works, huh? Yeah. They might, they now, might know something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now on, you know, you can... I've seen 6,000-hour rigs have never seen a ranch. Oh yeah, you know, other than yeah. other than just being serviced, maybe a line or a fitting, but that's it. And I've seen thousand-hour tractors that, my God, what happened to this thing? You know, it it just just like anything else. But by and large, I agree. You, no reason not to run the two at all. 
again, other than the multi-unit thing and all that. But right, yeah. There's just some guys set up that way, and, you know, once you're set up that way, that's life. Right. Barring catastrophe. Yeah. Um, and then on the other hand, you know, you get, so say you're over two, you know, two to three, I kind of broad stroke that before, three to four, you know, kind of the same thing. Right. Now, when you're talking a 20 or 30 series, I think there's, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but I'm just throwing it out there. If you take 5,000 hours versus 6,000 hours on a 20, 8,020 series or 8,030 series, I think there's a bigger difference there than on a first or second gen 8R. Take a, take a 8360. Yeah. 5,000 hours on an 8360, 6,000 hours on an 8360. Not a real big difference. Okay. Yeah. Yep. But you look at 5,000 hours on a ILS IVT 8330 mm-hmm. or 6,000 hours on that same tractor. Yeah. There's a bigger difference there than there is in the R. Yep. And you're talking to the upside, right? Huh? You're talking to the upside, right? Because that's the idea of what that machine is and and where it's at as far as popularity. Yeah, goes, that, right? yeah. What I'm saying is, at five, that thing has a premium. Right. Yep. At six, it does not at all. Especially for those guys out there, there's still a a very proud few that think when you say deaf, it means that you have a hard time hearing. You know. So it's, it's they have, they will not put it on their tractor. and they're not they don't want anything to do with it. And I think that those machines that you find you see them at the auction all the time that sell for this exorbitant amount of money. And they got six thousand hours on them, and I'm like, man, this is really, really a, a hard hard thing to do. But I get where they're coming from, you know. Uh, an eighty four twenty was a pretty decent tractor, you know. The uh, 30 series tractors are pretty good, you know. I mean, those were those were some some good uh, reliable machines, and guys are just looking at it from a standpoint of why if I can get six thousand for something I I like versus something that I don't know much about or not feel comfortable with or whatever it is. The devil you know is yeah. better than the devil that you don't know, I guess. So it's it's uh, well, and what I would say, quick there. The 30 series tractors and the and the 70 series combine. My God, we all know everybody was just gaga to the moon in love with them things, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that has tapered off quite a bit, along with the death thing, because death's been in pickups for ages, and so many guys have diesel pickups, you know. Right. So they're they're dealing with it, and death's been. We're six model years in to deaf, at least on the deer side, to having deaf on, you know, tractor combines. Right. So, they're, you know, and you take a 14, 370, a 14, 680, you know, you are damn sure talking commodity mm-hmm. <laughs> numbers at that point, and that's gotten guys over it a little bit. You know, you look at, say, a year ago this time, a 5,000-hour 30 series brought at least 
10 to 15% more than a 5,000 hour R series. Right. And that, and that's just why. And and it wasn't that they were deaf R's, you know, they were just, they just had the diesel particulate filter on there, but it's still something else to worry about. So they took their, oh, look, they perfected the 8400, I will run this tractor till I die type of tractor. And that propped a lot of that up, but there's, there's just so much out there. They're, they're getting so old, which is funnier shit because I'll never own one, but <laughs> they're getting so old that there's, they, they have no choice but to absorb that downward push of everything that has a letter in the model number, you know? Right, yeah. S's, S's and R's. So that's, that, that's kind of worn off a lot, but... You know, our old buddy Greg Peterson, once a week, something, creeps, you know, right. somebody somewhere paid eight times what something's worth just because, well, look at what a new one costs, you know, like that's the 44, the 4440 argument. Well, look at what a new one costs. Well, okay. I, I, and I get that. I totally get that. But I damn sure rather sit in a 6M than a. 4440 all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You Absolutely know? right. And, yeah. and that's coming from a guy that that's coming from a guy that likes cold iron, you know. Right. But I'm also six six two eighty five, and you you climb in there and spin around and sit down, and you know, like I always joke when I get in a little car, I'd be like, oh, hold on, let me put this car on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those sound guard cabs kind of the same way, so. You know, you, you always have that that kind of stuff out there too. That has nothing to do. That is actually complete opposite of what we're talking about. Yeah. But you know, I if if I was to broad stroke the tractor thing, as far as from the customer standpoint, when to trade, run that thing to two. Why the hell not? Yeah. So if you really got to run it to a thousand. Right. You know, and there's any more depending on what that tractor is doing, how big outfit they are, and all that kind of stuff. We're talking one year or two years, yep. quite honestly. Yep. You know, we got plenty of customers that a one year old a thousand hours, yeah. a two year old two thousand hours. Yep. You got dairies that are one year's twenty five hundred hours. So I mean, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Get ready, but no. So I think. I guess kind of to wrap this whole thing up, I think when you're out looking at a piece of equipment and it, it, the first thing I take into consideration is where is it at in the depreciation curve and how is that depreciation curve going to be affected by the reconditioning costs? And if there's no real cost in the depreciation, that means that you're going to have a, the reconditioning cost is going to be significantly higher for you than you can, than any number of hours that you put on a machine and then if and the flip side of that is if if you're if you're in that depreciation curve and you're starting to, and you're in that the heat of the depreciation curve typically you're not going to have a lot of reconditioning costs typically but i think that's right. uh but there are finite points in time when there is it makes sense for you to trade and it really doesn't make you sense to really trade in between there if you don't have to yeah. The only thing I would say, because you said the depreciation curve and the big reconditioning bills are not hand-in-hand, hand, right? You were talking about them being on opposite ends of the spectrum. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. 
Is that what you meant by that? Yeah. I mean that if you have a okay. if you have a, if you have a, a two or three year old machine, your depreciation cost is gonna be so much higher than what your reconditioning cost is. But you're not gonna have much. Right, right. The only thing I would say the only time that that is not or the only that has nothing to do with what you said. When you're what I was getting at is when you look at the double whammy is that 1300 hour combine because if you're the guy getting rid of it ouch if you're the guy buying it ouch <laughs> oh, yeah yeah you know that that that's one that on that spectrum gets you coming and going versus yeah. the rest are kind of one side or the other so so that's my point if when you get to that <clears throat> if you've kept that machine Past the seven, just pretend you bought it brand new, and you've kept it past the seven hundred and fifty hour mark, eight hundred hour mark, and you did that chunk of reconditioning, and then you ran it again to thirteen hundred or fifteen hundred, and you haven't done anything with it yet. You you need to start thinking about that, because that is right. you're going to get you're it right. again, yep. right? So, <clears throat> I think at that point though, if you really step back and take a look at the machine and what you've done with it, you, you've made your money back, right? Because you've you know your throughput, and you know all these different things, and that you that you can weigh and measure, and cost per bushel, and those different things that all start playing into that. You've you've actually probably um, actually you're in a good spot, right? Your depreciation from a tax standpoint and from a machine depreciation standpoint, you've got to get out of it, and now you're down to having um, a machine that's actually paid for itself, not because you paid it off, but because you've used it enough that you're your uh, efficiencies have, have actually increased, and, and, and you've made you've, you've made your money through through that through that side of it. So I mean, I think you've gotten the good out of the machine at that interval. If you're going to yeah. keep it, you better run it again at 2,500 hours because now you've got to redo it all over again and regain your money and your depreciation costs and all the different stuff. Get the good out of the parts you put in there and those kind of things. The only thing I would interject on that is, and I've, I've had some guys do this, and the guys that do it, I love it, but a lot of guys have a hard time wrapping their head around it, is you take that, say, 13, 1,200, 1,300-hour combine, and you go ahead and you spend that big-ass-kicking recon bill on it, then run it just one more year. Yeah. You get your goodie back out of it for what the shop ticket was. Plus, it's still in pretty damn good shape, right for trading. Yep. Absolutely but right. A lot of guys, I've had some guys do that. Works great for them, works great for us. Perfect. It's win win. Right. But a lot of guys can't wrap their head around it or choose not to wrap their head around it for the sake of saying, I just paid $25,000 in the shop for that thing. I'm not going to run it a year and trade it. I'm going to milk the shit out of it again. Right. Well, okay, then then what? Are you going to do it again or dump it when it's that way and you're down to nothing? Yep. yep. You, you've knocked the uh, so. you knocked the sheen off the parts you put on there now. So now you've, you've got a good used machine at that point. That's, that's right. really in that... That sweet spot. 
But knowing where those sweet spots yeah, are is so important. Yeah, call mine to somebody. <laughs> what did you say, Casey? I said just knowing where those sweet spots are is so important. Right. Yeah. What I was going to say just real quick there, I have yet to sell a combine to a guy and, and say, God, I hope that hasn't been through the shop. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I want that with sharp augers and yeah. holes in the auger trough. They're like, all right, yeah. here we go. I'm augering grapefruits, so I don't really, I don't need that, that tightness. Yeah. To auger too. Well, right. I need, I need more clearance. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, good stuff, dude. Oh, if uh, folks want to reach out to you and pick your brain about some more of that stuff or just get some of those super sweet deals you have out there in the old Twitterverse, what's the best way to do it? Well, I'm pretty active on the Twitterverse there, and you can get a hold of me at Aaron Fintel on there. Or like a lot of guys do, call me, text me. Don't matter when, just weather it up, 308-760-1193. Right on, man. And I'm Casey Seymour. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also, check out movingironllc.com for the latest Moving Iron information. Also, the uh, upcoming Moving Iron Summit, September 1 through 3 in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, everything's on. So, uh, if you want to come to that, man, reach out to me and I'll get you the information on that. Send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at Moving Iron Podcast.com. Also, check out the Global Ag Network and the great podcasters out there as well. Um, Brent and Landon over at the Dryland Farm Podcast are who they're uh, they're uh, pretty funny fellows. So check them out. I enjoyed listening to that podcast. Also, um, if you they uh, are pretty funny, but look on everything. <laughs> great faces for radio. <clears throat> um, they have uh, they have the other thing too is if if you listen to this and you've heard me talk about uh, Tractor Zoom. I'll be honest with you, I think it's one of the best things out there. Uh, I've used it, uh, I've, I've kicked it around at, at the dealership, tried to find every possible way to find something wrong with it, and I haven't found one yet. And I think so, if you're, a, if you're an auction guy, if you're an equipment appraiser, if you're a dealership guy, if you're just a just farmer out there that's trying to keep up on what's going on, check out TractorZoom. It's the most concise place to find what's going on in the auction market. Um, there's a... Uh, about 400 different auction uh, um, auctioneers that report to them what's going on and what, what's, what's sold there, and they, they have a pretty good way for, to kind of filter out what you're looking for. So check it out and uh, and, and see what you like from it. So uh, I guess with that, uh, I'm Casey Seymour with Aaron Phil. Let's go moose and iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find us here